The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Hi, I'm Christian Costa. I'm a current Summit student uh, at Summit Christian College. Uh, and I've been coming to Westway since January, and I will be doing the scripture reading this morning. Uh, we will be reading from Revelations chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. I, John, your brother and companion in suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Thanks, Christian. If you can't tell, staff meetings are fun when Christian is in there. It's about four times the energy level of a normal staff meeting. Um, so I'm John, if we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here at Westway Christian Church, and um, my wife tells me that cold brew coffee does not actually have more caffeine in it than regular coffee. At this point, I'm not sure if I believe her, because I am, like, keyed up uh, today. Um, I want to let you know, um, you might be asking yourself, why are we studying uh, the book of Revelation? What's, what's the purpose of this? Um, does John know something that I don't know? Um, and the answer is no. Um, I have not been more in tune with what's happening in the news, so I thought, man, we really need to, we really need to talk about this topic right now. Um, we're reading this book, we're talking about this study because there's lots of misconceptions about what the book of Revelation is really about. And as we continue to live in times that are difficult, um, we see a lot of people talking about, like, is this the end times? Is this, is this setting us up for what's going to happen in the future? So um, I did the thing, we're doing the thing that I told myself that I wasn't sure we were ever going to do and read this book together um, because I want us to understand it. I want us to come away with the, with the knowledge and the wisdom that all Scripture is God-breathed, even the book of Revelation. So we can, um, we can understand. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it to Revelation chapter 1. Um, we're going to be reading um, not all of Revelation 1, 9 through 3, uh, 22 today, but we're going to be reading um, a little bit. I, I want to remind you that the book of Revelation is, is not linear. And here's what that means. It means the book of Revelation is not in order. We like... Again, we, we like reading stories in which the beginning happens at the beginning and the end happens at the end. And if you were to read through the book of Revelation, you might be tempted in the way that we normally understand stories, in the way that we normally understand narrative, to read Revelation. Like first, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. And I know that many of us, that's how we read the book of Revelation, which is why then we go to the news to see what's next in the book, and Revelation's not linear. It's also not the future in the way that we think about the future. So the same thing, like we are not reading, when we read the news, our go-to should not then be to flip through Revelation to try and find out where this all lines up for us. Um, Revelation is apocalyptic. We talked about this last week, and that word apocalyptic um, has, has, again, nothing to do with zombies 
and has everything to do with, with revealing or unveiling. So when we read the book of Revelation, we're seeing something be unveiled. We're seeing something be revealed that we may not normally understand. We're getting a behind-the-curtains view of reality. And it's prophetic. And that has little to do with future telling or a fortune teller or anything like that. Um, the prophets in the Bible frequently had an encounter with God, and they would go and they would remind God's people of their role. They would call them back. Hey, I heard a word from the Lord, and I want to tell you what he is saying to us, which if you have read Revelation this week, which I would encourage you to read the book of Revelation every week during this series. It'll take you about 90 minutes. But the more you read it, the more the things that we're talking about are going to make sense to you. So they hear a word from the Lord, a prophet hears a word from the Lord and reminds Israel of its role, God's people. They communicate how the events of their day fit into God's story, and they communicate the cosmic meaning of Israel's history. And they're doing this to provide comfort, courage, and challenge to a group of churches that were going through hardship in their day. That's why it's not future we have to get this right when we read the book of Revelation. And like we talked about last week, kind of a basic principle for biblical interpretation, whenever I read anything in the Bible, I need to remember that the Bible can't mean something to me that it didn't first mean to them. Does that make sense? Okay, I can't, I can't have a separate meaning from something that I read in the Bible that they didn't understand first. And today we're going to talk a bit about the letters from, from Revelation chapter 2 and 3. But first we do that, before we do that, let's read Revelation 1 verses 9 through 11. This is, our, this is our setup today. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I love verse 10. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. We were talking a little bit about this in staff meeting last week. It's helpful here to remember that, that John was a political prisoner at this point. So he was, he was not gathered with a group of other believers to do his worship. He probably didn't have that freedom because he was a prisoner. It's interesting that he was worshiping, it says, in the spirit. So I think one thing we might be able to walk away from this little part of the story is it's possible to worship God outside of a physical gathering. No, I don't, rec I think we need to be together. This is not an anti-gathering message. I would never say anything like that. But here's, Here's reality. John didn't let his situation and his circumstance affect the way he worshiped God. 
He worshiped in the spirit. He heard a loud voice like a trumpet blast write everything in the book you see. We were talking about this again last week. I was just wondering, what are your expectations when we come together to gather? Several weeks ago on Pentecost Sunday, we talked about how how the believers were gathered together. That might have just been the apostles. It might have been all of the believers in Jerusalem. But they were gathered together to worship, and the Holy Spirit descended upon them. John is worshiping God in the Spirit, and we're going to find out in a second. Jesus appears to him. And a question that, that we have to ask is what are our expectations when we come together? Are we expecting something like these people experience? Makes me wonder why I come here on a Sunday morning. Is this just part of what I do? Is this just part of the routine? Or am I encountering God? Am I encountering Jesus Christ? Am I encountering the Holy Spirit? He tells John to write down everything he sees. So it's important to remember that we're seeing a vision here. How many of you have ever had a dream? You should all be raising your hands. Come on. How many of you have ever had a dream? How many of you have ever had a dream that you couldn't understand? How many of you have ever had a dream that you tried to explain to someone else and they couldn't understand? Is it any wonder then for us that the book of Revelation is hard for us to understand? It's a vision. And there are lots of parts that are explained. We're going to read one in a moment. But there are also a whole host of other things that can't be explained, that can't be understood because, because we're not there. So, so we have to be mindful when we read a book like Revelation. We have to be mindful of our expectations. We're reading about someone's dream and what they saw. So we want to be careful in thinking we're going to understand every little thing about it. Let's read verses 12 through 20. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. That's an Old Testament term, by the way, from the book of Daniel. We talked about this last week. Oftentimes, the book of Revelation is going to use phrases and people and statements and visions from the Old Testament because these people would have understood it. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. Remember, John is describing what he saw. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid, I am the first and the last. So there's our cue, right? To know who this person is. And the living one, I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels 
of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So here's an example. He sees someone like the Son of Man walking among these lampstands. Right, so that's a metaphor. We're wondering what that is. Well, this is one of those few times in the book of Revelation where John tells us what's going on. Jesus tells us what's going on. Those lampstands are the churches. And here's, here's what we're going to talk about today. Here's, here's the premise for our message when we read these letters. The letters to the specific churches were written in such a way that the specific physical realities and situations of them are the metaphor for their spiritual realities. That's going to make more sense here in a second, but I'm going to read it to you again. The letters to the specific churches were written in such a way that the physical realities and situations of their specific locations are the metaphor for their spiritual realities. So where they were physically is a metaphor for the way Jesus is telling them what's wrong with them spiritually. Does that make sense? It's their context and their physical realities that ought to guide the way we read and approach this book. So when we read the letter to the church at Ephesus, what we need to do is we need to spend a little bit of time understanding what was going on in Ephesus. Just like if you were, if you were reading a letter between my wife and I, and she were to say a phrase like, I remember when you spit off the dam." If you were to read that in our letter, you would have no idea what she was talking about. I would. So what you would do is you'd probably ask one of us. On our very first date, um, we went to this place called Tallulah Gorge in northeast Georgia, and there was, there was a big dam, and because I was like 19 years old at the time, um, I spit off the dam. And later... And that we were we were talking about this, and we were having one of those conversations that you do. It's like, when did you first know that you fell in love with me? What she said was, like, that's really weird. Like, it's not weird because it's my wife. But she said, I knew, I knew when you spit off the dam, and I'm like, that's really weird. What? Why? She goes, because you weren't afraid to be genuine in front of me. So. When she says that phrase to me, when you spit off the dam, like we're, we're locked in on that conversation, right? You now have that context. So when we read these letters, we have to understand that Jesus is writing them to them. What's their situation? What's happening in these churches? And each of these letters follows a very similar outline. Again, I just want to stress to you this week, read the book of Revelation. Spend time in it, become familiar with it. If you read these letters, you'll see they fall into a very similar pattern. There's a description of Jesus. That's the very first thing. There's a description of Jesus. And usually that description in the letters matches what we just read in verses 12 through 16. Those descriptions match that. Each letter begins with the phrase, I know something about you. So here's the thing. Jesus knows our spiritual realities. Regardless of what we think our spiritual realities are, regardless of who we think we are, Jesus knows who we are and he 
says something to that effect with each one of these churches. I know something about you, and then he gives them a message. He tells them what he knows about them. He gives them the reward for obedience, and he closes each and every letter with this phrase. Anyone with ears to hear must listen and understand what he's saying to the churches. See, Jesus knows the realities of each one of the churches. He shares those realities with them because he wants them to know. And then Jesus expects transformation. He expects the churches in the book of Revelation to hear what he is saying to them and he expects them to do something with it. He expects them to be changed. Here's, here's just a few. We're not going to go through all the letters. The church of Ephesus. This is in, this is uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Christ is defined as the one who holds the seven stars and walks among the lampstands. We just read that. Here's the message. You've done a great job of keeping the truth, but you don't love me and you don't love other people. Repent and love. We talked about this 2019. Remember all of the exhortations from Paul telling the church at Ephesus to hold to the truth? Hold to the truth. Be on the lookout for false teachers. There are people who are going to try to deceive you. And that was just on repeat through, F, through the letter to the Ephesians, to First and Second Timothy, and even from First, Second, and Third John. Well, they did such a great job of holding to the truth. They did such a great job of looking out for false teachers that they forgot to love God and they forgot to love other people. And Jesus says, if you repent... I'm going to give you fruit from the tree of life. The church at Smyrna, this is, kind of here's a little background on the church at Smyrna. They were a seaport village that had been destroyed and rebuilt a number of times. So they were once dead and now they are alive. What's really interesting about Smyrna, this is verse 8 in chapter 2. Write this letter to the angel of the church at Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead, but now alive. Just like you, Smyrna, I, Jesus, am dead, was dead, and now I am alive. Here's the message to the church at Smyrna. Persecution is coming. Don't be afraid, because it's not going to last forever. And here's the reward. You will not be harmed by the second death. Well, what does that mean? Well, they're going to die physically because everyone dies physically. But they're not going to die spiritually. See, what Jesus is telling this church is, you're going to face incredible persecution. And if you, if you stand firm, you're not going to die the second death. Notice he doesn't say anything about the first death. See, Revelation is revealing a deeper reality, that there's something beyond this world. And as we start to think about these things as the church in 2021, we have to begin to ask ourselves, do we believe that there's something beyond this world? Or are we so afraid of, of what persecution might come that we're going to deny Christ, that we're going to fear 
and John is calling, Jesus through, through John is calling Smyrna to not deny the reality, but to be ready. The church at Thyatira was an outpost city. They were famous for their trade guilds, especially bronze. Christ is, in the letter to the church at Thyatira, the Son of God with eyes like flames of fire and feet like polished bronze. Do you see how this fits with Thyatira? See, Jesus is, is talking to these churches because of who they are, because of their realities, because of their context. And what's even more interesting about that, I love history, so every once in a while you get a history lesson. There was this, one of the seven wonders of the world, uh, of the ancient world, was called the Colossus of Rhodes. You ever heard of the Colossus of Rhodes? Well, that collapsed. Here's what commentators think is happening in this letter to the church at Thyatira. By stating that Jesus has feet like polished bronze, he is not a statue like the Colossus of Rhodes who will collapse. Here's, here's the message. You allow a false teacher to run amok and she's gonna be judged and many of you along with her. And others of you who are faithful hold on to the truth. What's interesting in this letter is is John, Jesus through John, calls this woman Jezebel. Now, you should know that that's not her name. This is where, if we have an understanding of the Old Testament, if we were to flip back to 2 Kings, we would see that Jesus through John is, is drawing their attention to Queen Jezebel, who was not a nice lady at all. And John and Jesus are doing this because he wants to shock them into reality. Because like us, it's easy for us to minimize our sin. To think it's not that big of a deal. And as we talked last week, Jesus is using this language to, to shock them. All of these metaphors, all of these visions. He wants to get their attention. Because it's really easy for people to not think that their sin is that big of a deal. That it doesn't matter. So what he's gonna do is he's gonna call this woman Jezebel and everyone's gonna be like, oh yeah, her. We don't wanna be like her. Sardis was the home of wealthy and prosperous Jews who were overconfident and deceived by their wealth. Christ is defined as the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. And here's the message. You're reputed to be alive, but you're really dead. See, by your activity, by your success, you have the appearance of being alive. But what Jesus is telling the church at Sardis is you're not alive, you're really dead. And I know you think you're alive because you're, because you're living and moving and you're buying and you're selling and you're doing all of these things. But what Jesus is saying is you're dead. You have no life in you. Laodicea. If you've ever read through the book of Revelation, good old Laodicea. Christ is defined as the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. 
Here's the message to the church at Laodicea. Roses are red, violets are blue. I want to vomit when I think about you. Can you imagine getting that Hallmark card? If you think I'm joking, you should read the letter to the church at Laodicea. See, we often, we read this language and it says, in some translations, it's like in the NLT, it says, but since you're neither, since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And we think like that's such a pleasant spit. Like, oh, I got a little bug in my mouth. No, this is, this is vomit. Jesus is disgusted with the church at Laodicea. And he's using this language because he wants to shock the church into reality. He wants them to understand that their sin is separating them from him and it's separating them from one another. And he's like, oh, you guys just make me sick. I can't, just thinking about you. Reminds me of that lukewarm, nasty Laodicean water I drank one time. I just want to throw up. So here's what often happens when we read through the letters. We ask the question, and I'll bet you've asked it. Which church are we? Last week in our elders meeting, we were talking about this text, or two weeks ago, we were talking about this text, and Dave Robinson said some people believe that, that, like, um, that these letters are representative of the seven different kinds of churches. And then Dave Robinson asked me a trick question. What do you think, John? And I just said, you know what, Dave? I think the seven letters to the seven churches are written to the seven churches. Because it says to the church at Laodicea, it says to the church of Sardis, and he gave me a minute, and then he smiled, and he said, I think so, too, so that made me feel good. <clears throat> See, here's the thing. We're not these churches. We can't be these churches. We can't be Laodicea. Why? Because we don't have a city named Hierapolis to the north that is known for their hot water springs, and we don't have a city named Colossae to the south that's known for their cold water springs. And here's this city of Laodicea right in the middle of them. No hot water, no cold water, just stagnant, gross, green, lukewarm water to drink. And because Jesus knows these churches individually, he knows Laodicea, what he's going to say is, your indecisive commitment to me, the fact that you are not all in with me or all against me, like, oh, you just make me sick. But he doesn't leave them there. He tells them to repent. And this is, this is really the key. A lot of times we read the Bible and and we read scripture and we think, oh, Jesus is, being, Jesus is being so mean. God is being so mean. All he does is tell these people how wrong they are, how bad they are. Well, I would say, if you've read the Bible, you would actually know that that's not true. 
because in each one of these letters, he tells them what they have to do in order to be living the lives that God's called them to. Each letter, I know your, I know your, I know your, I know where you live, I know your, I know your, I know your, because Jesus is dealing with individual churches who have individual needs and individual realities, and he gives them the prescription to deal with their sin. He tells them what they have to do to fix it. He tells them what they have to do to be right with God. And this is what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. Jesus is writing to these churches because the next 18 chapters of the book of Revelation detail the spiritual realities for people who claim to believe in God. So when you're, when you're reading through the next 18 chapters and you're trying to figure out like all of this death and destruction, what John, Jesus through John, is doing is he's painting a reality of life without God. And see, there's a whole group of people in these churches that are like, yeah, 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 we're Christians, we're Christians, we're Christians. And God's like, are you though? Because this is what's coming for people who say they are. And we're gonna read this in chapter six in a few weeks. But the only way you're gonna make it, the only way that you're gonna survive what's coming for you is to repent of your sin. That's the only way. Because if you're lukewarm, you are not gonna make it when Babylon comes for you. You're not, because you're just gonna deny because you weren't really all in. Does that make sense? I'm not gonna go this way. See, repentance, repentance starts with listening, which is why at the, every, at the end of every letter, Jesus says this. Anyone with ears must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Ephesus, do you wanna make it through? Repent. Smyrna, don't be afraid. They're gonna kill you, Smyrna. But don't be afraid. Pergamum, stop compromising with the world. Thyatira, kick that Jezebel out of there. Sardis, you're not really Christians. You need to wake up. Philadelphia, persevere. Laodicea, you make me sick, and the lives that you have built around wealth and prosperity are not going to save you. There's gonna come a time, Laodicea, where all of the things that you have built up are gonna be tested and you're going to fail. And see, my guess is, when the, when the seven churches on this little mail route got this letter and they read through it, I don't think any of them spent any time wondering when the rapture was. I don't think any of them spent any time trying to figure out who the beast from the sea was or who was riding the red horse. Isn't that different than the way we look at the book of Revelation? 
See, the way we approach the book of Revelation is to read it and to ask all the wrong questions. When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? What's going to happen next? And Jesus is lovingly coming to the churches and he's saying, I love you guys. And with what's coming, with what, with what I'm doing, I am lovingly opening the curtain. I'm giving you this window into reality. And what Jesus is saying to the churches is, you're not gonna make it if you don't ship, shape up. You're just not. See, my guess is when these churches heard this letter, they probably got to work. Because if you've read through the book of Revelation, like, it's a scary book. There's a lot of stuff going down. So I think these churches got to work. So if Jesus is talking to these churches about their specific situation in mind and not ours, like it's a reasonable question then. So, so when we read this, what do we do with it, right? Well, one first thing we do is we spend time getting to know what, what it meant to them, which we just spent the last 32 minutes doing. Right? Learning more about their situation, learning more about their circumstance, learning more about their context. And now we can start to ask the question, um, you know, what might Jesus say to us? Taking into account our situation and circumstance. And that's the question that's been rolling around in my head all week long. Thinking about who we are, thinking about where we are, what might Jesus say to us? I'm not Jesus, you know that. I did not have a vision this week to tell you this. I'm just gonna tell you scripture. And as I've been reading and wondering and reflecting and praying, here's, here's the image that's come to my mind. Water water. Can't stop thinking about how dry it is here. Ann and I moved to western Nebraska in March of 2017. And for the first three weeks of our time here, like we couldn't figure out why we were always thirsty. And we're drinking water and drinking water and drinking water and drinking water. And we're putting chapstick on. And we're rubbing lotion into our arms. It's like, Why? What's going on here? Well, lack of humidity. And it's not just something that affects us, right? It affects our crops. That's why you have these, this, these pivot arms, pivot um, hydration all around our area to water. The animals need water. Our yards and our gardens need water. The Bible often uses water as a metaphor for spiritual fulfillment. Not just water itself, but the source of that water. Here are a couple verses I'm just going to read. Jeremiah 2.13. For my people have done two evil things. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they've dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. A few chapters later in Jeremiah 17, verse 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, who all who turn away from you will be disgraced. They will be buried in the dust of the earth, for they've abandoned the Lord, the fountain of living water. 
John 4.10. These are all in the YouVersion app that we use. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me. And I would give you living water. John 7, 37 and 38. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. So my question for you today is, what are you, what are you thirsty for? Spiritually, what are you thirsty for? Do you have the language to identify that? See, I would say to you, for the, for the people in the room that are, that are constantly looking for the next thing, the next job, the next promotion, the next spouse, the next thing, you have a spiritual problem. And the only thing that is going to fulfill you is living water from Jesus. That's it. It's the only thing that's going to fulfill you. And I know, I know what that sounds like. Because there was a time not too long ago where I was sitting in a room like this and somebody would say that to me and I'd be like, yeah, but you know what? If I can just get that next job, my life will be awesome. And it just never happened. I mean, I got the job and my life was just as unfulfilling as unsatisfying as it ever was, I just had more things to be unfulfilled and unsatisfied over. So when I think about our area and I think about the dryness of our area, I think this is a metaphor. I don't know if you know this or not, but if, if we didn't have water here, we would not have cropland. No one would be living here if we didn't have water here. We would have to have it brought in. We need water. We need living water, and Christ is the only one that, that offers that. And again, it's not just water itself, but it's the, it's the location of the water. It's the source of that water. Because here in our area, like we just keep digging deeper, right? We need a deeper well, Right? And I think for some of us, that's such a perfect metaphor for, for who we are, to just keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into ourselves. And all we ever do then is deplete and deplete and deplete and deplete until there's nothing left. And what Jesus says to us in that reality is anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. If you want fulfillment, you're only going to find it in me. And again, I, if you're not a Christian and that sounds crazy talk, I understand why you would say that. And here's what I'm going to tell you. Keep digging. Keep going. And when you get to that point, recognize that Jesus says to you, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. The scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his, he's speaking about himself, will flow from his heart. And he 
He offers that to you. God, I'm thankful that you love the church. I'm thankful that you know our specific situations. You know us well enough to speak directly to us, directly to our hearts, directly to our churches. You tell us what's wrong and you love us enough to give us the prescription. And I pray today, God, that we would have ears to hear. In your son's name, amen.